buildingyourband.com. I feel like we became friends in under two minutes. Yeah. And knew, yeah, that, and knew that we were going to hang out. Now, you, you, you meet people like that all the time, but I don't. So, okay. I don't know. I don't make friends with people in under two minutes, like ever. I, I, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. But yeah, but I just felt like we connected. So I'm, I'm super happy to be, you know, talking to you and, um, you know, we've gotten to know each other a little bit, um, a little bit of travel. We've just got back from yeah. the experience conference. Um, but I think what we wanted to talk about today was just kind of, um, give folks a chance to hear a little bit of your background. Um, and absolutely you're, if I, if I had to pick a word to kind of sum you up, it would be songwriter. Excellent. Would that, <laughs> that, would that, that be I'm honored? Would you be, I'm would honored. you agree with that? I would say, yeah, I, yeah. I would definitely say that I'm a songwriter. I mean, in terms um, of your passions, you have a lot, I mean, you can program keyboards and I look at that and go, man, that's solid programming and you've got a, you got a, a range of skills um worship leading and acoustic guitar and all all these things but if i had to pick one thing out it would be songwriter it, it seems Man. to be your passion and your focus yeah definitely that's that's it's something that has become an emphasis in my life a lot more um over the past few years mm -hmm. uh i started writing songs when i was a kid um so yeah, so kind of back up and tell us how you how you got into songwriting or why you ever felt that was important, where you got that calling from, or yeah, well, tell us some of your um, story. I still remember. So I started playing guitar when I was probably like twelve, okay, thirteen, something like that. Um, my dad had an old bass up in the attic of my grandparents' garage, like their garage had an attic. My grandparents owned a farm, and the garage was like its own building. You know? Right, right. So we would play around out there, play like army and stuff. And one day, I found this old like guitar that only had four strings on it, and it, and it was really, really weird and different than anything I'd seen before. It looked like an electric guitar, but it only had four strings. Oh. So like, I asked my dad later at dinner that night. We were hanging out at my grandparents' farm. I was like, Dad. I found this awesome instrument up in the in the attic. And he's like, yeah, that's my bass. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, that's a bass. That's cool. And that he's accent like, yeah. right there is? Uh, yeah, I'm from Texas. Texas. You know, that's, that's it. That's right. I'm, I'm a Texas boy. Right. So, yeah, uh, I, I, I got my dad's bass out of the attic. He's like, yeah, you can take it home. Okay. Uh, started playing bass along with the radio. So this was... Um, this is in the early '90s, so I was—I'm a child of the '80s, and okay. so I was kind of coming of age in the early to mid '90s. Um, so Weezer's Blue album was all over the radio. Dave Matthews' Under the Table and Dreaming was all over the radio. There you go. I was really into, um, you know, James Taylor's Greatest Hits album had come out. You know, that okay. white—it's like a white cover with like a list of all the songs on it. Um, so I was listening to a lot of that and. Um, so I started playing bass, uh, and then my dad let me borrow his acoustic guitar. Uh, my dad was uh -huh. a music minister. Yeah. My dad was a music minister, um, in the Southern Baptist church. Okay. And, um, so I would, I would hang out with him like all day on Sunday mornings. <laughs> you know, I would go real early in the morning. Right. 
and um, they would do a couple of different services. So I'd usually like go to one of the services and then I would just hang out in his office for the other service because they didn't really have like a youth group kids thing at this one church that he was serving at at the time. Okay. And, and I, I, I was in his office and his guitar was in there, you know, and I was like, Oh wow, cool. I think I'll play around with this. Yeah. So after a couple of Sundays of playing around with his guitar, I figured out how to play like the E minor chord, you know? Right. And, uh, and then I figured out how to play like the A chord. And then I found this book that he had from like, I don't know, 1952 mm-hmm. is Mel Bay's fun with the guitar. <laughs> you know, it's like the old country Western looking right. right. folk, folk guitar guy. Nice. So I started learning all these folky guitar chords and, wow. um, and it all just kind of unlocked from there. And then my dad saw me playing the guitar in his office one day after church. He's like, Hey, you're playing my guitar. You're, you're actually doing all right. <laughs> And then he's like, um, it's like, well, you know, you know, you could bar that. I'm like, what's a bar? What does that mean? You could bar. And he shows me how to do like a bar E chord <laughs> or a, you know, like a B or something. You right. Know? And I'm like, what? I'm like, mind blown. Okay. All right. Mind <laughs> blown. So, uh, yeah, music has always been a part of my family. It's been a part of my life, my entire life. I was singing the moment I came out of the womb. I was, you know, I I sang, I still have vivid memories of like probably second grade singing Amazing Grace Mm. up on the stage, uh, you know, and just bringing all the old grannies to tears. Oh, man. And yeah, I I, I loved it. I fell in love with it. Wow. Um, so I've, and I've always sung, you know, I've always been a vocalist and, um, uh, started taking, you know, private voice lessons when I was in middle school and did classical vocals all through high school oh, and cool. all state choir and all that stuff. Wow, that sweet. was a real fun time for me, but I always like lived in the classical world when it came to my training and okay. then in the rock and roll world when it came to my, um, you know, taste in okay. listening. Right. So, um, so how so do you I, bridge I, those? Yeah, I mean, like, I well, I was gonna say, I, you know, I, I, I feel like, um, I feel like one of those guys that learned how to sing classical vocals, so that he could sing rock vocals without murdering his voice. That, that you know? is sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. So yeah, I, my first song that I wrote was when I was in middle school. My okay. youth group, my youth group was having like a talent show as a fundraiser for church camp. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, you know, youth pastor, I'd like to, I'd like to try and sing this song I wrote. And my, my grandpa had passed away and, um, and I wrote this song kind of like that had to do with that. And I don't really remember a whole lot about, about the song. It was probably really, really awful, <laughs> but, but that was the first it's thing. The first I, you know, song. First song I wrote. I was probably, I was in like eighth grade, ninth right. grade. Um, so then as I grew um, and, uh, got older, started playing electric guitar, you know, so I would play electric guitar a lot with bands that I'd be in. But then when I was 17, um, me and a bunch of my friends started this Christian ska band called six foot midget. <laughs> Why does everybody laugh when I say that? All right. Everybody always, um, we were, that we might were serious, be the name man. of the episode already. <laughs> So we recently actually just put our song or our album up on on iTunes. Oh, you can, is it re- you really? Can, you can listen to Six Foot Midget. Oh, yeah, that's awesome! To. All right, we we did we did uh, we did actually quite a lot. We we did a little. We played shows all over the Dallas area. Okay, I opened up for a lot of 
actually somewhat legitimate, good nationally touring acts. Um, played a lot of the Deep Ellum, Deep Ellum clubs and stuff. And then um, I don't even know if Deep Ellum is still a thing in Dallas, is it? I don't know. Somebody don't out know. there listening could probably yeah. tell me. And uh, so Six Foot Midget broke up in 2003. Um, so I did a lot of songwriting for Six Foot Midget. Um, we were on a... I mean, we were kind of on a label, um, a friend of ours who had a studio in his, in his church that his church owned and, uh, or that his church supported, um, ended up, you know, recording us. Um, we did a few different albums in various different ways. And, and the, the last one we recorded in 2003, um, was the one that's, that's out there still. So, um, yeah. So So were were there like, uh, was this a thing in CCM where there, I'm not. I'm not hot on the ska scene. I have to confess. What? So like, were there other? I'm like aware of the genre. Mm. That's about it. Mm. <laughs> so you're missing what, out, man. Yeah. So educate me. What were the like? Were there other ska bands that were hot at the time? Like oh, that absolutely. were kind of out. Yeah. We'll say so. Now let's just back up. We weren't. We weren't hot. I mean, oh. we were. We were a band, right? And we played regional. Yes. Texas shows. You know, we did one run up to like Salt Lake city right before we kind of called it quits eventually. And that's pretty cool. You know, at at that point we were all in college and we were kind of moving our own separate ways. But yeah, yeah, the the main ones were the big three were the supertones, the OC supertones, five iron frenzy, which is still my favorite. Okay. I I was going to name them. I almost said that. five iron is like just the, mm, I love everything, everything they do. Okay. And then, um, and, uh, the insiders, yeah, hmm. the insiders, which uh, were from Detroit. So okay. uh, those three groups, you know, were the big ones. Um, and then, you know, there were lots of small, small time ska bands in the late nineties. Okay, mid mid to late nineties, yeah. early two thousands. It was a thing. Right, it was a thing. Uh, okay, yeah, it was a thing. All right. So <laughs> so uh, six foot midget, um, sadly breaks up. Yep, they broke up. We broke up in. November of 2003. Okay. Right right after Five Iron Frenzy broke up. Oh, all right. Yeah. And then what happens? Uh in 2003, I um well sorry, in 2004, um you know, and I was in, I was engaged to my wife at the time, to my fiance at the time, who's now my wife. Um I was engaged and uh I I had written a, a bunch of these acoustic kind of dashboard confessional type songs nice while i was in six foot midget and you know like when i was in six foot i wrote all these acoustic introspective type songs right that didn't really fit what we were doing right and um so like they kind of got shuffled away and and put on a shelf right and when we when we broke up i did um i did an an all this material yeah so i did an ep um under my own name christian knuckles uh, it was sorry. Sorry, the custodian just was waving at me. I was telling him not to come, not to come in. That I'm recording this thing. Uh, that's great. What, what what were we talking about? Uh, you were dropping so, names. Oh right, right. So so I did an EP. Yeah. It's, it's still out there too. You can you can find that under under Christian Knuckles. Okay. Um, and uh, that was mainly just songs that I wrote. You know, from from my fiance and I and and I and oh. so I formed I formed a little group. Um, and we played a bunch of shows and here and there throughout, you know, throughout Texas, um, just for fun, you know, wasn't really very, a big, uh, very much of a big emphasis 
in in my in my life. I was I was working in Christian radio at the time. Oh wow. Um, yeah, I I worked for a Christian radio station in the Dallas area called KLTY. Okay. And um and I was playing in my band uh, Knuckles, and there actually was a really great local Christian rock station in Dallas. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's still there. It's called Power FM. They, and and just like seeing how they had a heart for the local Christian bands mm-hmm. in the area and like how they supported them and like played us on the radio and like gave it and like created a whole scene. So there were like Christian clubs, Christian venues, wow. church churches had Christian venues in uh-huh. their church youth room or whatever. Um, and, and so six foot midget played there a lot. You know, I played at those places a lot. Um, there were, there were radio shows kind of like this one, but like, um, you know, that we would do interviews on and then we'd, we'd play Christian clubs. And it was kind of this interesting little Christian rock scene. Nice. And that was mainly where we lived with Six Foot Midget. And then when, when I did Knuckles, I tried to break out of that a little bit more and played more in the, you know, bars and clubs and mm. um, night, night, night lounge kind of places mm. um, and coffee shops and things. Um, but still, all my contacts were in that Christian music world. Right. And uh, I think the biggest thing I ever did with Knuckles was we opened up for Sonic Flood one time. Oh, sweet. And it was horrible. Like, I just, <laughs> it was the worst set I've ever played in my life. Oh, and, no. Uh, but it just was really cool to get to meet Sonic check. Flood. Just a crappy. crappy yeah. We don't use that word in my house now. Oh, we, oh no. that's right. Remember, this Pete? Is the, this remember? Is the second time. Second Man, time we've had to beep this. Family friendly, right? <laughs> Safe for the family. Um, it was it was less than optimal less performance than optimal. Envi- environment. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. but that was, I mean, really, it was just that we were not good. That was okay. really the main thing. Yeah. Just huh. so, just so we're clear, it wasn't really that. Okay. But, but yeah, uh, it was really fun to meet Sonic Flood and get to work in Christian radio and do all that stuff. I, I met a lot of really cool artists that are now like super big time in the CCM world and when mm-hmm. they were just getting started. And uh, so, yeah. So okay. after that, um, after that group kind of, um, I, you know, I, I got out of college. I was working in banking and the mortgage industry and stuff for my, for my day job. Um, and I started playing bass for a guy named BJ Stewart and I played with him for a few years. BJ's group was recording at the same place that I'd recorded six foot midget and my, and my album, um, the knuckles album. And, um, yeah, so, um, played with him and we played all these Christian camps and youth rallies, you know, that was his main circuit. Um, and I think BJ is still in Texas, um, as the worship pastor at a church somewhere, I believe. Cool. And still, still making music. And it was kind of a Southern rock kind of thing. Um, yeah. I've, I've always lived in, in more of the alternative world. So that was kind of breaking out for me, but I played bass for him and just had a really fun time with all those guys. And, cool. and then after that, um, just kind of didn't really write a whole lot um, because uh, I was going into this kind of time in my life where the the music that I was doing um, in my in my in my personal life I didn't really have as much time for it because I was like paying bills you know mm-hmm. and like being being a dad or being a husband and being a yeah. dad and stuff yeah uh, and but I remember um, just as a part of my journey you know. Um, just to kind of back up and rewind, you know, I said that my dad was the music minister at, at, in the Southern Baptist church. And, right. um, he had been really burned by, by one of these churches that he'd worked in. Right. And so I saw him kind of bring home all of the, the anger and the bitterness mm. and the, 
Oh man. And the sadness that went along with that. And, oh, and so man. it's like Sunday morning, you see yeah. happy, smiley dad. He's got to turn it on. But then on at home, it was, it was a different picture. Mm. Um, and, and really what it was is that dad was determined not to work in full-time church anymore. And so he okay. was working in the secular world, uh, you know, just oh. like as a normal businessman guy. Right. And then, and then working in churches on the weekends because that was actually what his degree was in, you know, music <laughs> education and church music. Right. But because he'd been so burned by the church, he didn't want to do that full-time anymore. And oh, so man. I saw that from a very early age growing up. And I yeah. told myself and I told God, I was like, you know what? I don't want to be like that. I don't want yeah. I like church and I don't want to not like church. Right. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and so I love music and I love to sing and play guitar and write songs and all of that. And I'll do that, God, I'll do that for you. Right. But, but, but not as the music minister for a church. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so like, so kind of getting yeah. back to where we are in this story, um, you know, I, I'm married at this point, I'm working in this kind of finance industry and, um, I was playing guitar at my church and playing out on the weekends and things like that. And I was like, you know, babe, I, I, I'm talking to my wife. I was just like, you know, I, I just can't help but feel like music is what I'm supposed to do, but I just, yeah. I don't know what to do. And I'm just stuck in this dead end job. And she's like, well, you know, you'd make a really great worship <laughs> pastor for a church. And I was like, you know, I don't want to do that. You know, we've been through this. We've wow. had this conversation. All right. Um, and, and I'll never forget what she said. And I've, I've gotten a chance to tell this story to many people. And, okay. and I hope that I hope people hear this. Yeah. She said this to me. She said, how long are you going to tell God how you're going to use your gifts for him? Oh, man. Like, how long are you going to dictate that to him? Because last time I checked, he's God. And to follow him means to surrender to his to his calling, you know. And even if it's scary, and even if it's something that you feel like maybe, oh, it's going to lead to some pain and discomfort. Wow. And I was like, well, you know, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> My wife is, is awesome. Yeah. Seriously. And, uh, good, good woman. Yeah. And, and I started to think about that, pray about that. And, uh, and I was like, you know what? I, if a church would hire me, I would, I would definitely look into doing this as, as, as a, as a, you know, job or right, as a right. fee or whatever. And so, um, a friend of mine that was the saxophone player for six foot midget, he had a friend who was, uh, planting a church. Mm. And, um, so, uh, they needed a music guy and yeah. he, we got in touch and it was a, it, it was a really good fit. I felt like it was a great fit from the very beginning. And wow. So after about a year of doing that, I was like, man, this is amazing. They, they asked me to like go from kind of being a hired gun that would do it on Sunday morning to being like their actual worship pastor wow. and play every Sunday and, and lead the team and, mm -hmm. and build up the ministry in the church. And, and then after about, you know, six months of that or so, I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. Wow. I started to get really frustrated with the fact that I didn't have enough time to give the ministry, the attention that I wanted to because of my, my full-time job that I was doing. Oh, And, and so I told my wife, I was like, you know, this is, if you would, if you would be okay with it, I would like to look into going into full-time ministry. And she was like, of course I would love, you know, that'd be great. Wow. Um, so we were pregnant with our second child at the time. Um, and this was in, we're up to 2008 now. Okay. 
Um, and uh, kind of December 2008, January 2009, we kind of made that determination that when, when Ryland, my, my second child, was born, that we would put the resume out there um, and, and see if anyone in the world would hire me, you know, mm-hmm. to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, we, had, we made that determination. And then, you know, Ryland was due in May of 2009. In April... Uh, I'm sitting on my couch, gotten home from work, sitting on my couch, hanging out with my daughter and I get a phone call. Um, and it's the, it's the sheriff's department and mm-hmm. they, 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 uh, they told me that my dad had taken his own life. And, um, when it's like, when you get that phone call, you know, I, people that are listening may have gotten a phone call like that, you know, like that just wrecks your world for a minute. Just, just like hits you like a ton of bricks, you know? And, um, and that was that moment for me. That was a very dark, low place for me. It was like something out of a horror movie really. Yeah. Uh, and, um, so, you know, uh, as we kind of started to pick up the pieces in, in the, in the days and weeks that followed that, um, all of those, all of those fears, all of those concerns about, not wanting to be like my dad and not getting jaded oh, by the church and not getting, you know, not being, um, hating, hating my life and my job right. and all of that. Right. They all came flooding back. And then a month later, my son was born. My son, mm. was born. Oh man. And I think that in that, I think that was divine. I really do. Because when Ryland was born, and when my dad, had, my dad had passed away, my son was born. It's this bittersweet mingling of mm. loss, yeah, loss and and joy, you know. And and in the middle of all of it was the church, the church pouring out compassion, pouring out love, mm. pouring mm. out prayer on me and my family in a way that I'd never experienced, in a way that I'd never seen. And I fell deeper in love with God's people. than I ever had before. I felt a sense of confirmation on my calling. I felt a sense of courage and encouragement to stay the course and to, and to follow God's call on my life. Mm. And, and, and the still small voice, you know, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you know, you know that, that there's a still small voice inside you, you know, if you'll just be quiet long enough to hear it, Right. There's a still small voice inside you. The still small voice inside me in that moment was saying, you're not your father. Mm. You're your own man. Oh, man. You're, you, you are a father and you get to choose yeah. what kind of father you want to be. <sighs> yeah. You know? And yeah. that's what led me to, to, um, to continue in, in, in that determination to go into full-time ministry. It's really hard to get into ministry. You have like when when you when people talk about going into ministry, yeah, they think, oh yeah, I'll just um, you know, do an interview with a church and then I'll be hired because right. it's like it's like working at McDonald's or something. Right. You just go, you meet the manager, right? It's like, are you a felon? <laughs> no, okay, cool, you're hired, you know. And um, do you have an acoustic guitar? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> if you're a worship leader, right? Are you a felon? No, it, okay. Do you have an Taylor? acoustic guitar? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yes. <laughs> so really, um. No, when you're going into full-time ministry, it is invasive, it is uncomfortable, it is long and drawn out. There's a lot of patience involved, a lot of prayer, 
it's really like dating and getting engaged yeah. and marrying someone. That's really what it's like. Yeah. You you find out each other's interests, you find out each other's style and mm. values mm. and things like that. Yeah. So anyway, I, I put my resume out on churchstaffing.com and just I my wife and I were like, you know, we'll go anywhere. And really, I think that my dad's death caused us to want to get out of our hometown anyway, mm. where we were, we had been, and we needed yeah. to change the scenery. Okay. Um, so I think that was providential too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this church in Annapolis, Maryland, called Weems Creek Baptist Church, um, uh, hired me, and so I started there at the very beginning of 2010, and we moved from the Dallas area all the way up to Annapolis, wow. and that's what brought me up to the Northeast. Okay. And, um, I was at I was at Weems Creek uh, for about four and a half years. When I went to Weems Creek, that was when I started writing music again, and that was when I started writing music for the church. So mm. um, that was when I really started to um, to to study the craft of songwriting. Okay, and and Pete, like one thing you probably know about me is like I think we've talked about this. Like I'm I just try to be a student, a good student. Mm. of the craft of songwriting. I will always do that. You know, like you never stop learning that. Right. You never say, oh, okay. I've mastered, <laughs> I have mastered this. You know? Right. I've arrived. Uh, I've I know arrived. how to do this. Yeah. And it's like, what I've discovered is as I'm a good student, as I try my hardest to be a good student and, and take every opportunity I can to, to, to do the work and the discipline of writing to, um, to do the, networking that it takes, you know, to meet other people that are like, you can trust them and, and write with them and stuff. Um, when you're faithful in those things, God opens up doors for you to use those things. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, um, at Weems Creek is where I started kind of writing some songs, uh, for the church and trying them uh, out on your conversation, on my congregation. (laughs) Well, it's interesting that you say that because it's taken a long time for me to get in a place where I feel like the process of songwriting is really a part of the culture. Ah. We, one of the things about Weems Creek, I felt a little bit like, um, uh, the style that I had, um, didn't really match up with what the congregation was really. And, and, and mainly it's really mainly about following the pastor's vision for your church. Right. You know, yeah. Like that's, that's a very important thing to remember as a worship pastor. Yeah. Um, is that, you know, the, the pastor is a worship leader, you know, mm-hmm. he is, yeah. he is leading the congregation and he is culturally leading the congregation. Right. And, right. And, um, and what he says, you know, you have to make peace with the pastor's vision. Right. So, um, there was only one song that we actually introduced in church and that's called risen from the grave. Um, and I wrote that in 2014, right before I left Weems Creek, actually. So we played that obviously for Easter. Okay. Uh, Risen from the Grave is a good, good one for the Resurrection Sunday. Sounds so, like um, so yeah, uh, I, I did a lot of demos. I learned how to use Reason really well, mm. and that's what I use. Um, that's what I use for like recording demos and stuff. Okay. And, oh, your pre-production and, well, and yeah, yeah, yeah. But see, my thing was. Uh, when I, my thought was, okay, I'm going to write this song. I'm going to write, I'm going to write the song. But to me, writing the song meant also arranging every note and moment <laughs> of the song for every instrument. Wow. So I would program all the drums with MIDI and I would pro, like, I'd play all the bass stuff. I play all the electric guitars. I play all, do all the harmonies. Wow. Do all, yeah. Like do falsetto harmonies, <laughs> you know, like, 
all the keys. I cannot play piano. I'm terrible at keyboard, <laughs> but I can program a MIDI you for can. you, brother. Yeah. I can do yeah. it, you know, like, so all these crazy arpeggiators and things, yeah. you know. So, I, so one of the first songs that I wrote uh, while I was, while I was there probably back in 2011 was a song called Adopted by the King. I started writing that song and I have these old demos that I have that I, that I put together in Reason and, um, there were actually several songs that I wrote there, like um, a song called Desperate, a song called uh, Risen from the Grave and Lift Up Your Voice. And and what I learned as I was a student of songwriting and the process, it was that like you're sitting down with your pen and your paper and you're trying to hard. You're trying mm. to hard to write a song. And that, it feels so forced. And... What I discovered, I think it was Paul Balash that said this. I think I heard him say this. He may have been quoting somebody else, but he mm. said, you know, don't be a song writer. Be more like a song catcher. Mm. Be more like a song collector. Yeah. You know? And and so I, that really kind of set with me really well. You know, I was yeah. like, okay. Because the way it plays itself out is I'll be doing laundry or doing dishes or driving in my car or mowing the lawn and a melody will come to me, right? Or a phrase will come to me, or I'll be driving home from church and something that the pastor said will be like a phrase I would just sing over and over again. And right. And so like I take that idea and I get out my phone, I hit the voice memo app and I record it. And so I have like eight thousand voice <laughs> memos in my phone. Well, this is the interesting thing, man. Like, as <clears throat> I've met more and more songwriters that actually like do legit songwriting for the yeah. church or whatever. Yeah. They yeah. do the same thing. Really? It's the exact same thing. That's They're it. like, like, okay, get the voice memo. And yeah, okay, here's the cool. And I'm like, wow, I'm not as ghetto as I thought I was with this whole thing, right? You know? This is really so, how you do it. This is really how you do it. And, and this is the thing. First, you collect the song idea. Or mm. this, is what I, this is what I've learned to do. I, I collect the song ideas. And then I do the work and the discipline in my daily devotional life mm. of going to God's word. And saying, okay, cool. I know that I learned this Bible verse somewhere at some point in right. Sunday school when I was seven or, you know, but right. now let's go to the Bible and say, okay, cool. Let's like, let's, let's kind of look at this, you know, with a little bit of a logical brain. And so kind of combining that logic with, with your creativity, mm -hmm. it's the same kind of process as if you're writing a sermon and you're just writing really short, impactful sermons mm. set to melody. Mm. Um, now the only thing you can copyright is melody and chord or melody and lyric. And you lyric, can't, right. You can't copyright a chord progression. You can't wow. copyright a song title, you know? Wow. And so when you start to think about that, that becomes the essence of your song. So oh. like everything else becomes gravy. Everything else becomes arrangement. You know what? Arrangement. This is so interesting. I'm I'm sorry, I'm did a little rabbit trail here, but a little diversion, yeah. but uh but um there's this dude I came across recently, and I've been I've been thinking about wanting to have him on the show. And he's got a tune; it's a great tune. I love the tune, and I swear the intro. Yeah, good, good, good father. Is that what it is? Good, no. good father. Good. Are you talking about Chris Tomlin? Who are you talking about? <laughs> I, I, he's a real up and comer, man. I think oh, he, yeah. I think he's showing he's some real he's, he's shows some real promise if he sticks at it. Yeah, if um, he, he practices, he'll 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 get there. If if he only had some backing, so um, so this so this dude has this song that I like, and, and I'm not going to name it. Um, but I, the intro, I swear, is a lift from this other female songwriter that I also like, 
but she's maybe not as widespread and popular. So I don't think a lot of people are going to pick it up, but I swear the intro riff is the same. And I'm like, wait a minute. Can you, can you, how does that work? How do you, how do you do that? And, but what you described is, you know, you yeah. can, the, the chord progressions are, there's only so many chord progressions anyways. So. Yeah. It's really, I mean, like where you get into it is, is with melody, right? Yeah. So like if, if I were to, if I were to like put, the intro melody to a very famous guitar solo or something like, you know, if I were to like right. play, play the riff from right. carry on, okay, carry on my so, wayward son so at the beginning solo. of my worship song, <laughs> that is copyrighted okay. material, you know? So either, so, yeah. either singing a, a, a sung melody or a instrumental melody. Oh, absolutely. Way. Yeah. Okay. It's not like, I, I mean, like I could, I could like get some Kenny G melody going and just put some words to it. I'd still have to get <clears throat> Kenny G involved on the melody. He was like, you know, right. if he is like, Pete is the best <laughs> dude in the world. Like, you know, that's like a Kenny G song. There you go. But, you know, now we're going to get sued by Kenny G. So <laughs> I'm going to use that as my opening riff. Better cut that out. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. So, so as I, as I started to think about the essence of a song and then really what it is, is I started to get frustrated because I would do all this demoing, all this arranging, all of this programming, and then someone would blow up my song. They'd be huh. like, "Oh man, hey, you should um, you should change that and cut out that whole section." <laughs> or hey, man, you should just you should totally like do a guitar solo thing oh, there. You know, no. or like, or, and I'd be like, "I can't, I can't." Yeah, I spent eighty thousand hours programming <laughs> this guitar thing or this this keyboard thing. Right. You know. Right. So. So here's what, so I changed the whole thing. I was like, you know, I'm going to write melodies and I'm going to write lyrics and I'm going to, I'm going to grab my guitar and I'm going to put it all together and then I'm going to send it to some, some folks to listen to. When I say mm-hmm. folks, yeah. when I say folks, my wife, listen, my, my wife laughs at me. She says, no one says folks. I say folks. I'm going to send it to some people, some humans that I trust well, some folks. and I'm going to, some good folks. Some good folks and and see what they think about it, you know, and people will tell you, you know, okay, look, hey, what if you rewrote that whole first verse to be more oh. like more in line with like, because I'm notorious for messing up. Uh, I'll I'll write a whole first verse that's like me to God, you know, right, right. And, and but then like my chorus will be like, we're all singing about God together. Like uh-huh. I'm telling people about God. And right. then the next thing I'm, you know, I'm. It's like we are all singing to God, you know. So like mm-hmm. the the we sing versus I sing, and to whom I sing about what, right? Um, you know, people will speak into that, and or or they'll say, you know, I really feel like this would be better as a six eight time signature instead of four four, <laughs> you know. And I'll be like, you know what, you're right. That's cool. That's wow. great. And you can uh, respond if you did that. If that's an acoustic guitar riff, still, but yeah, if you right. program the drums. There's no exactly. so four, it's like four if you, to six, four. Yeah. It's like if you're at the baby level, if you're yeah. at the, okay, okay, all I've done is I've taken out my phone, I've hit record on the voice memo, and I've just strummed this thing for four minutes and, and given you my idea of what this song could be. Yeah. It's, it's no problem if you blow up what I did, because mm-hmm. it's just, we're still in the crafting stage. We're, yeah. we're still forging it out, right? Yeah. So now, there's, then, there's, yeah. there's nothing wrong, though, with having a singular vision for a song and just saying, hey, I just need an engineer to track this and mix this. I mean, was, it, was this kind of a thing where you were, 
you know, you were just trying to get these songs down and then someone is like, oh, wait, I'm going to be the producer here because producers are full of good ideas. You know, <laughs> sometimes we don't need those. Yeah, I. Yeah, this is this has been a journey of discovery for me, man. And there's yeah. nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with having a vision for your song. I just right. feel like what I've learned yeah. is that if you come to a to the project with your vision and your clenched fist, hmm. then that's all you're going to get. But if you open up your hands and you say, "Hey, here's my vision," but hey, creative person that God has given gifts also, um could you make it better? See, a lot of it has to do with pride, man, like, wow. and generosity. And, wow. and, and yes, you can come, you can approach anything in life with this. You can, if you mm-hmm. take over a fast food franchise, you can walk into it with your clenched fist, with your vision. Mm-hmm. And that's all it's going to be. Yeah. If you allow creative people that you can trust to speak into it, and to take a little ownership, then they get more excited about it and it grows to something much better and bigger, you know? Yeah. And yeah. and that's what I've seen with songwriting and that's what I've seen with song production. And and I think that honestly, just about anybody in the industry that really does this stuff that's like way better than me, uh-huh. they'll tell you this they'll tell you the same thing, you know? Wow. Uh, I mean and what I was gonna say is like Adopted by the King, you know, I wrote that in 2011, and then it sat on a you know, I demoed it, it sat on a shelf. I showed it to some people in listening panels for several years as I was at Weems Creek, never played it in front of human beings, right? And then eventually, when I got to Grace, where I am now, and I felt like I was kind of in a more of a, a place that might be more receptive to that kind of song, and mm-hmm. really, yeah, um, and really to where I felt like we could we could um, develop it as a team a little bit more, you know, mm-hmm. the arrangement side of it. Yeah. Um, I, I re I revamped it. I cut out some stuff we didn't need. I made it more congregational, singable, and we started wow. singing it in church. Wow! And and then like you, so it's funny. Like you can listen to "Adopted by the King." You can listen to like the programmed out, awful reason demo that I did. Then you can listen to the first recording of us playing it in church for the first time. Uh-huh. Then you can listen to. Like when we put out our album and we did that song and it's the first track on the record okay. from from last year, you can hear what it became and um and in order for it to become what it became, um I had to I had to let go and and let the team work on it you know and uh-huh. and uh, Ben Ben Malott is our audio producer I got to give a shout out to him he's amazing uh, with nothing but noise studios out of um. Fairfax, uh, you know, he did a great job of managing me because I came into that project that we did um, last year with a lot of expectations and a lot of closed mindedness mm. and a lot of tight control. And wow. the truth is it was a learning process for both of us because uh. I learned, okay, you know what? These songs, they live up to my vision, but that's all they live up to. I want them uh. to live up to more than my vision. Uh. And, and, and the cool thing about it is like when you listen to a song like running, which is heavily produced, you know, like super synth pop electronic mm-hmm. stuff and like, um, very planet shakers influence yeah. and like Hillsong young and free influenced music. Yeah. Um, when you listen to that versus a song like pour out your presence, which is very, uh, kind of like not new gateway, but you know, older gateway mm-hmm. you know and, and just fyi we're talking about 
your latest C- CD, Grace Rising. Yeah. So, oh, right. Well, I guess we should talk about that. Yeah. So basically, as we played these songs in church and as we continue to write more, as I, as I wrote more um, throughout 2014, 2015, we started to play these songs in church. Um, God, you know, he really kind of put a burden on our hearts to record these songs. And um, so we went into the studio at Nothing But Noise with our producer, Ben, and um, and we we made an album and so like a lot of the people on our team got to got to play on that album we learned a lot from each other on that album um and so yeah we we came up with a name for our group which is called grace rising and that album is is out in the world you know as well Um, and um yeah but if, if you listen to those like you know if you listen to running versus pour out your presence you can tell that they're very different like genres of music even right mm-hmm, right one is like highly congregational and the other one is more like i don't want to say performance but it's more um it's definitely more like produced and electronic and high energy and mm-hmm. difficult for a uh, a congregation to catch on with mm-hmm. um but it, but in our church it was a really exciting song you know hmm. um so it's like i started to think more okay how can we write more songs but maybe start to do a little bit more discernment on the baby side of like in the baby stages right okay when you're when you're doing these demos and you're doing these song recordings that are just on your phone let's start taking those and let's start sending those out to some people like on staff or like wow. audio audio like our audio guy or our, you know, that guy that runs visuals on Sunday morning and just loves the music, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And, 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 and people like, you know, Grace Rising has a roster of like 35 people. Obviously not all those people do all of the stuff, but everyone's on board with the vision and the music. And wow. so it's kind of like, maybe we send it out to those to just the whole, the whole crew, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and let's, let's see what they think about these songs. And then we picked some of those to start playing in church. So, yeah. um, so that's kind of become our process. And as we look toward the future of what we're doing and songwriting in the church, you know, we've, we've started to implement that where I've got, you know, a Dropbox folder with 10 demos in it right now of just wow. songs that I've sent out to people. And, and as God has put new uh, friends in my life and new, like just acquaintances and colleagues in my life, of people that like really know how to write well for the church. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm writing these songs as prayers for my people in yeah. my congregation. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that, you know, a really awesome songwriter couldn't say, Hey, um, you should say it this way. Cause no one knows what you're talking about it. If you say uh, it that way, you know, nobody right. knows what you're saying, you know? Right. Um, and, and those moments happen so much. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but again, it's it's about being a student. Mm-hmm. It's about it's about um, when you go into a co-writing environment. Mm. It's about serving each other, mm. it's be, being generous, yeah, and and um, and and making it more about um, more about serving serving the song, serving mm-hmm. each other, mm-hmm. and and really ultimately connecting people's hearts to the Word of God. That's really what the song is the delivery mechanism for. Okay, um, so that's. That's kind of what what I do with songwriting now. I love it. So there's man, there's a bunch of things we can talk about here. So it's it's really interesting to me that you when you write songs, at least initially, you were getting an entire complete vision for what the song you thought the song should sound like. Sure. Yeah. 
And that's just coming from the fact that you've just been around music and you've played a bunch of different instruments and yeah. Or what? I mean, yeah, I think that I have a wide range of musical influences. Yeah. Um, when I was little, um, you know, we had nothing but basically classical music in the house and, uh, jazz and uh, like, I, I'm from Denton, Texas, which is where the university of North Texas is. And they mm-hmm. have an amazing, amazing jazz school. Mm-hmm. And so when I started college, I wanted to do jazz vocals, you know, that's oh, what I wow. was. Are you serious? Yeah. And then I realized, oh, I, well, I also like want to get a job and pay bills <laughs> when I get out of college. So I, I got scared I away. I got scared away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I got scared away from that. And, um, but yeah, so like, um, everything from grunge, like nineties grunge stuff, yeah. like, like, um, Stone Temple Pilots and Pearl Jam and Nirvana, you know, Cake is an amazing band that I just like as a bass player learning their stuff, it, it stretched my skills. Dave Matthews band, uh, uh-huh. the same kind of, same kind of thing. Just I think that having a critical ear for for the overall arrangement is really something that that is rare when you when you listen mm. and, and it's a skill that's learned. Mm-hmm. It, it can be learned, but there is natural gifting in that, you know. And yeah. it's like when you when you listen to a song, you know, do you hear like this is what the drums are doing, and this is mm-hmm. also what the bass is doing, mm-hmm. and this is what the guitar is doing, and this is what the horn section is doing, <clears throat> you know? Right. So I think that as I, I mean, I listened to everything from scream metal, emo, you know, and then like 90s grunge alternative to like synth pop techno stuff. And, and really a lot of stuff that I listened to from much of my growing up was like Christian rock, like the Mm -hmm. Christian rock subgenre of the, of the nineties and two thousands, you know, that was where I lived my life. You know, that was what I loved. And, um, so, uh, so Christian punk rock, you know, bands like Slick Shoes and MXPX. Oh yeah, those those were like my bread and butter for a very long time, and okay. then the Christian ska thing, you know. Yeah. So it's like when we would get together with Six Foot Midget, and we'd have rehearsal on a Saturday night for like five hours. <laughs> I'd come to the group with a song, and I'd have all my horn parts in my head, and I have to oh. go sit down with the horn players and see, and I'd be like, okay, trombone, you're going like this. You know? Are you serious? Oh yeah. And then you'd have to be like, like, okay, well, what is that actually? Like what notes is that? You know? (laughs) Because extremely unmusical way of arranging music, you know? And but it was Yeah. That sounds pretty musical to me. (laughs) It was pretty cool. (laughs) The guy just wanted you to write the notes down or something. He couldn't hear them and Right. It was like, you know, you know, when you're when all our all our guys were in band, high school band. They read notes. Oh yeah. Yeah. You got to read notes, bro. Yeah. So it's like, dude, I don't know what the notes are. I just, yeah. you know, <laughs> I just heard it in my brain, you know, slide that slide um, up and down until you exactly. That's yeah. what I'm saying. So, um, and it, what was <laughs> we always, you know, it, I, I do this still in rehearsals. Like just yeah. last night we had rehearsal and, you know, brew, um, who you, whom you have interviewed, you know, he's, he's our drummer. And he, uh, he was like, doing something. And I was like, no man, can you give me like a bam, 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 you know? And he's like, he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, can we, can we just do like, bam, bam, bam. And he's like, he's like, Oh, you mean, you mean beautiful day. You want it to sound like beautiful day. And I'm like, yep, that's exactly what I'm, you're right. I want it to sound just like beautiful day. Cause really dude, we just all rip off you too. And worship. that's all we do. Is rip Don't, off you that's, too. that's a secret. We're not supposed to in, give away in various ways. So, 
so yeah, I, I, I feel like uh, just the various different influences yeah. that I've had in my life uh, with classical music, jazz music, alternative yeah. rock, Christian punk, ska, reggae, the whole nine yards. Pretty much anything except for country mm. and, and and like and like you know, like mariachi music or something. <laughs> I like it. I'm I'm into All right. it. You know? All right. One of my biggest influences is Radiohead. And, oh yeah, yeah. You know, um, Radiohead. Like a lot of guys talk about U2 and how we rip right. off U2. And blah, blah. Right. I I just try to rip off U, Radiohead, Radiohead and Tom York. Tom yeah. York is a yeah. And Johnny Greenwood. Those guys are like crazy mad scientist geniuses. Yes. yes. You know when yes, it comes they to are. music. Yes, and, they are. And it's only amazing that they somehow sell records while yeah, they right, while they right. while they do all that. Yeah, and I have to be honest, you know, um, it when I listen to Radiohead, most of what I'm really enjoying, the, you know, still this had staying power for me is the stuff that I was listening to with um, like the Benz, that album, you know, Pablo Honey, the Benz, and OK mm. Computer. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I loved Amnesiac. I loved, um, I loved that record, but like that was when I started to kind of veer out of that genre a lot, you know, but I still will throw an OK computer and show a guitar player, dude, this is what a, this is what your guitar needs to sound like, <laughs> you know? So nice. It, 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 it's, and songwriting wise, you know, um, when you listen to the songs that have had a lot of staying power with Radiohead, you know, um, high and dry is a great example. Um, you know, don't leave me high. Oh, right. Yeah. That's um, and then fake plastic trees, those singles from the Ben's album, um, man, they just really influenced my songwriting. Wow. Uh, anyway, yeah. Wow. Dashboard, Dashboard Confessional is another one. Chris Carabas is, is, is an incredible songwriter, incredible storyteller, and um, just an all-around handsome dude. And wow. I just love him. And so he's had another influence on me. And so like when I hear these songs in my head, I try not to hear necessarily just the, okay, here's what it would sound like if Jesus Culture played this song. <laughs> you know? Okay. Right? Okay. Like, here's what it would sound like if Matthew West cut this this track. Right. You know? Right. I, I think I think that the cool thing about what we've tried to do, and I think that if you're a worship leader in a church trying to write music and trying to make stuff happen, you you need to write stuff that is that is you, but that doesn't stink. You need to write stuff that's <laughs> like, you know, it's like a lot of people say, okay, write songs for your church, write right. songs for your congregation, right? But you should also try to get better at what you do, right? You know, and right. I think that sometimes. People use the, well, I wrote this song for my friend that was going through a rough time. Mm-hmm, you know, right. well, it's a lot of times that that's great. And if I was you or your friend, then I would know what you're talking about. Right. But I'm, I'm not, so I don't. Right. You know, like, and, and I've made those mistakes enough to know now, kind of like, you've got to kind of get outside of your own head a little bit and think, right. what, are, what are the words I want to put on the lips of my congregation? Right. But then on top of that, Okay, I've got this guitar player, and and this is kind of his sound, you know. Mm. So so now that is an interesting. What yeah, you so just, let, yeah. Let's talk with him about once we get to the arrangement workshop, right? Nice. Like, yeah. Like once you get past the baby, the baby song, and you're like, okay, these are the words, these right. are the chords, this right. is the melody, right. right? Right. We've all landed on this, right? All right, now we're going to play this in church. Well, how are we going to do this? Let's all get together and workshop this thing. Yeah. Right? So you send that demo out to your band that's playing. And then you say, okay, cool. Hey, guitar player, all right, here's the new song. Now listen, I've got a couple ideas on this, but 
show me what you got brother you know I and like it. and 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 then you take that and you kind of work together because here's the reality man you just keep an open heart about it because it's gonna change anyway right like you're gonna play it in, in church you're gonna play it 25 times in right. church maybe and it's that guitar part's gonna change a million times before you land on something right you know? right so um yeah, anytime, anytime you produce something, you you have an idea in your mind, but it it's never going to end up sounding like that, right? And yeah, yeah. So like, there there's definitely times when you need to give direction, right? But, you know, absolutely. And, and as you build trust with your team, and as you yeah. like respect each other, and you and like I was just saying this last night, we've got a new song that we're introducing on Sunday morning, um, and and it's it's called Father of Lights, and I just love this song. I'm really mm. excited about it. We're going through this series in James, and um, you know the first. Ch- chapter of James, it's got this amazing imagery that, you know, every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights. It's like, what mm, the heck does that mean? You know, wow. so like just kind of, just kind of talking about that and, and, and talking about, we should consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds, mm-hmm. we should consider it joy, right? Mm-hmm. We should count it joy. Yeah. So it's like, I have all these ideas, but like at this point, Grace Rising, you know, like my core people, they 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 read my mind. They know exactly what I want. They know when we get to the end of this song, we're going to end on the four and we're going to go, and we're going to trash can it up. <laughs> and then the keyboard player is going to launch the next click track for the next song. And we're going to go right into the next one. You know, you they go. know how we want to transition it. They know yeah. what to do because we've done this hundreds of times, literally, you know. Right. So as right. you. It's it's a it's a journey you go on together with your team. And, yeah, and yeah. And the cool thing about it is worship music, Jenny Lee Riddle told me this like um many years ago. Like I I got to be in a like a songwriting class that she taught at a conference. And she said, A song is not birthed, right? A song hmm. is not birthed fully hmm. until it is birthed in the hearts of the congregation. Wow. Like and I was like, what? She just like dropped a truth bomb on me, right? And I and I was like, what does that even mean? You know? Well, I now I know what it means. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I because I've I've watched it happen and it is so true. Yeah. So I think that what we have a lot of times, and I'm guilty of this, man. Like, I'm just gonna testify, I'm just gonna give you a little uh confessional moment, dude. Okay. All right. I have here it is early on in the songwriting game when it came to the worship songs, and dude. I hope there are people out there that can connect with this and just and just crush this. Like, you think, okay, I'm going to write this worship song, and it's just going to sound so great, and my band's going to record it, yeah. and then we're going to record that song, and our church is going to love it, and we're going we're gonna to record it, and I'm going to get it in the hands of somebody that knows somebody, right. and it's going to get cut by Matt Marr. And it's going to be the new big Matt Marr song, and I'm going to be rolling in a giant pile of money for the rest of my life because I wrote that song that got cut by Matt Marr and that everybody sings in their church. Guess what? False. Not true. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why, dude. (laughs) Tell me why, brother. This is what every songwriter needs to know. You can't make any money writing songs. Yeah. So just get it out of your head. Like, you can make some money if you have insane astronomical success in the pop market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And But this is the thing. This is what I had to learn. Okay. God, God made Christian Knuckles, Christian Knuckles. He mm-hmm. did not make me Chris Tomlin. He did not yep. make me Phil Wickham, yeah. even though I wish he had, because I love him so much. <laughs> he did not make me Matt Marr. He didn't make me Matt Redman or Matt, yeah. any other, other Matt worship leaders. He made yeah. me Christian Knuckles. And so... 
Christian Knuckles has to write Christian Knuckles songs for Christian Knuckles' people with Christian Knuckles' team right. where he is right now, where I'm planted right now. And so um, I, I think that some of these things, that these nuggets of wisdom that I've heard from some of these killer songwriters. I mean, Jenny Lee yeah. Riddle wrote Revelation Song, bro. Wow. Like, and when she tells the story of how she's writing songs, she's like, yeah, I'm a housewife. I'm a mom. I fold laundry and I write songs while I'm folding laundry. That's and I just crazy. think of things. I'm like – and you're a genius, and I love yeah. you, and you're amazing, yeah. and please teach me your ways, <laughs> right? But it uh, there's so much idolatry, there's so yeah. much prestige, and like there's so much like weird, just lifting up on a pedestal of the people that write these songs because because we connect deeply right. with the songs, right? Yeah. But the truth be told, I feel like pop. Culture tries to pervert something very beautiful and natural in the Christian world. Yeah. I really feel like Satan is trying to attack our minds and our hearts wow. when he puts a lie in our heads that as songwriters, we are going to be famous and rich. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the truth is, even the ones that have had what we would call success really aren't famous and rich. You know, like they're right. not. Right. They still have like real jobs and stuff. So right. I, I'm just. I mean, and there are obviously exceptions, right? But like, it's kind of like those infomercials where they show you the dude that weighed 800 pounds and now he's like right. got an eight, eight pack and it's like <laughs> res results, not typical, <laughs> right? That's what it is. So, <laughs> so Pete, I gotta be honest, That's man, hilarious. like I've, I've, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and yeah. I was like, as I was preparing for this, I was like, yeah. if I can make Pete laugh like that at least <laughs> once in my podcast, I've succeeded. So I did it. I did it. <laughs> oh, man. Great, man. Dude, I, I really like your your uh, more generous definition of writing music for your church. I yeah. really like that. I, I did not. I never would have had that kind of an idea in my head when you, mm -hmm. when you use that terminology. But I really like... Um, the way you're approaching this. So that's some really great stuff, man. Thank you for Thank sharing. You. Yeah. 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 Really it's good. It's not me. I, I'm just regurgitating what more smart, more wise people have said to yeah. me now, to give me advice, you know? No, you're doing it. You're doing it and you're passing <laughs> it on. So thanks, yeah. bro. Thank you. Um, so how can people get a hold of you? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I was going to say, like, since we're talking a lot about songwriting, it seems yeah. in this, in this, um, you know, I love to partner with people and, and okay. help co-write with people. I'm yeah. I'm doing some co-writing with a couple of different guys right now. Um, and uh, if people want to email me, and you know, uh, I'd love to take a listen and okay, offer my humble advice, uh, like just as a worship leader, like, yeah. hey, would my people sing this thing if it was this way? Uh, you know, I, I feel like you need to you need to pray in your own group of co-writers i think that's mm. really good to do mm. Mm -hmm. but sometimes it just takes a fresh set of eyes a fresh set of ears yeah and then, you know like you can take that you can take my opinion you take somebody else's opinion <laughs> and just throw it away if you yes. want because yes. i've done i believe me i've done that you yeah. know and yeah. like it's it's your song man it's all good yeah, yeah. exactly um, but if anybody wants to get a hold of me they can email me um uh let's see what would be the easiest email i guess um i am knuckles at me.com and and my last name is spelled n-u-c-k-e-l-s not l-e-s and no no k on the front i am knuckles n-u-c-k-e-l-s at right. me 
Um, ME.com. Yeah, they can. Right. And, and, and if you're interested in Grace Rising, you can go to GraceRisingBand.com. We've yep. got a new album coming out uh, October 15th. All right. Um, and uh, basically, just to kind of one thing that would be kind of fun if you if you listen to our studio album that's self titled, you can hear it on Spotify, iTunes, stuff like that. If you listen to that album and then you listen to our new album, yeah. What all I did was we we took the the songs and we rearranged them so the essence of the song is the same, the lyrics are the same, the melody is the same, but we did all acoustic ish wow. arrangements of these songs and we did a live concert. Uh, to benefit a children's organization, uh, a missions organization called Sozo Children. Okay. Um, and uh, all the proceeds from that album are going to benefit Sozo Children. They're, they're an organization in Uganda that rescues kids out of difficult situations and gives them home and shows them the love of Jesus. And um, wow. so all the proceeds from, from this album is called the Sozo Sessions EP. All right. uh, it's available October 15th everywhere. And, um, uh, you can hear kind of how we rearranged our songs. And, Sweet. Yeah. So are we going to hear a Sozo Sessions song? Yeah, I think it'd be fun to listen to Running from the new Sozo Sessions album. Okay, excellent. All, all right. right. Well, we will we will roll that, and uh, you get a special preview of that. And uh, all this stuff will be in the show notes at buildingyourband.com slash Christian Knuckles without a K. And with an E-L-S. And with an E-L-S. Good catch. All right. Thanks, Pete. I really appreciate it. This was super fun. I appreciate you too, man. Yeah, man. I can't wait to get coffee with you again, man. Yeah. Hang out, you know. We'll make some plans. We'll share a hotel room together like we did at the Experience Conference. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much to discover When we're looking into the eyes of love There's so much to uncover When a glimpse of your grace there's a lifetime to follow To tell of all the wonders that you have done This is our resolution
rate this podcast on iTunes. Pete is the best dude in the world.